0: This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer. And today I'm excited to welcome Dr. Jeffrey Buckholtz. Since 1988, Dr. Buckholtz has operated Buckholtz Traffic, a full-service traffic engineering consultation firm. Uh, he's participated in over 200 cases with engagements for both plaintiff and defendant depositions and trial work. Dr. Buckholtz holds a PhD in civil engineering from the University of Florida. Dr. Buckholtz, thank you so much for joining me here today. Nice to be here. Let's jump into it. You've been a traffic engineer for over thirty years. How'd you get started with that, and how did that lead into becoming an expert witness?
1: Oh, I just basically fell into it. I was interested in transportation, futuristic transportation. You know, that's what hooks a young kid like you know space exploration and flying cars and all that. And then uh, settled down into the real world where you have to make money, and that <laughs> led to being a traffic that led to being a traffic engineer.
0: Uh, and, and how did that transition into expert witness witnessing? Is that something that you were looking for or did that also kind of fall in your lap a little bit?
1: I had a lawyer a friend of mine ask me if I wanted to do a case back in the early 90s up in Massachusetts, and I just started slowly doing cases one at a time. You know, I was busy with my engineering practice and then it grew and it's grown now. So I've done almost 300
0: cases. That, that's quite a few. Um, if you can think back to the beginning, you might not remember the first couple of cases. But what was that like? What were the, those, you know, initial calls like? Did you feel properly prepared? Um, and how did that change over time?
1: Yeah, I was never intimidated by it. Because if you're an expert, you're an expert, you know, more than the, anybody else at the table, typically. So sure. uh, that was never a problem. I've always had good communication skills. So that helps in this field.
0: What does it mean to be an expert in your field? Is that something that you, you know, are you always learning? Are you going to seminars or is it more static than certain other fields?
1: Well, I don't go to as many seminars as I used to because there's just not as much useful information, you know, before I didn't know as much. And as you get to know more, there's less out there, but yeah, I still go to seminars and I still do a lot of stuff online. Now you can learn so much online without having to actually attend a seminar, Uh, and as I work, I learn, you know, when, if, if you're being an, in my opinion, if you're being an expert witness and you're not working in the field, that's a little bit of a deficit because you can't keep up on the standard practice, uh, because it can pass you by. If you retire, become an expert witness after five or 10 years, you might not know what's going on.
0: There is a couple types of expert witnesses. There's consulting and testifying experts. Is there a significant difference in the way that you approach them?
1: Well, I mean, my big separation is between people who do it full time, so they rely on expert witness work, and others like me who do it as basically part time, as a as a attachment to my engineering work. Because I really just call balls and strikes when I'm contacted by a lawyer. Sometimes I tell them what they want to hear. Sometimes I tell them what they don't want to hear. But I, I give them the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what I see. Whereas somebody who their livelihoods dependent upon it. Might tend to look at the case the way the lawyer wants them to look at it. So I think there's a plus
0: in practicing in the field besides just staying up on the on material. Do you think that there's uh, a lot of ethical issues in being an expert witness? Do you find that attorneys often are, uh, you know, nudging you to say things in particular ways or to put things in a particular course, manner of course, in your of report? Course. Of course, their
1: objective is to win, they're they're out to win. Uh, My objective is to tell the truth. So sometimes those two don't go together. And, uh, but you try to do the best you can for your client, but sometimes those objectives run up against each other. There's a lot of ethical issues in transportation, uh, expert witness work. Uh, I'm sure in expert witness work in general, there is. And uh, it's really surprising to me that like here in Florida, the board of professional engineers, they will not review any expert witness testimony. They've told me that if somebody gets in as an expert witness and says something totally negligent, totally crazy wrong off the wall, They won't discipline that professional engineer, and that's a little disconcerting to me because I think that's the place where it's most important. I mean, in the courtroom is one of the places where, or at deposition is one of the places where it's most important to be ethical, uh, tell
0: the truth, and be competent, and for them not to patrol that to me is a little curious how do you recommend that newer experts that are just getting into this kind of avoid those sorts of pitfalls? They might be in, you know, one of their first engagements, they're you know, not quite sure exactly how all of the ethics run in, in when an attorney's kind of trying, keeps trying to push you or something like that. How do you, um, re- how do you uh, navigate all of that? Or how do you recommend newer experts navigate that?
1: Well, if they're a registered professional engineer, they have taken ethics classes almost everybody requires you take ethics classes so it's not it's not like this is hitting them blindsided you know people not just lawyers but people in the community will ask you to bend the numbers so their development goes in or so they can get something they want you run into this conflict all the time as an engineer and uh you know if you don't adhere to your principles you have people going into space with o-rings that don't work and people dying And that's exactly what happened in that case. And that can happen in any case when you don't stick by principles. So you just, you just have to, it has to be drilled into a young engineer's head. You're an engineer, you're better than the normal person, (laughs) and you have to act like it.
0: Uh, Let's talk about report writing. Um, You mentioned in your email that you are sometimes given way too many irrelevant documents when you're first engaged. How can... On one, on one side, attorneys ensure that they're only sending what's relevant or mostly what's relevant. And then on the other side, what's your process of kind of we- weeding through it?
1: Well, it's often in a case, especially when DOT is an opponent. And they're, you know, suing the DOT or, or something that's related to the DOT. Maybe they're suing a contractor that worked, worked on a DOT job and they request the file from DOT. Oh, my God, they get a data dump you wouldn't believe. They get soils reports. They get environmental reports. They got things that got nothing to do with the accident that occurred. So it would be in their best interest to have some uh, person who's inexpensive at their company, but has some intelligence to go through and sort out, get rid of the soils reports, get rid of before they send the disk to me. But often they just send the whole darn disk to me. What do I do? I try to look through as quickly as possible and say, okay, those are soils reports. I'm not going to read through all of those. I know none of them are of any interest. So uh, they can save themselves some, but I, but I still have to look. So it takes a little while right. to look. So to make sure that there's not some golden nugget stuff be- between the soils reports, which I have found. So if they go through and sort that out before they send it to me, they'll save themselves some, some time and money. And again, when I get it, if I see that hasn't been done, I try to sort it through as quickly as possible.
0: You also mentioned that your overall report writing strategy is pretty straightforward. Uh, once you've decided which documents are relevant, um, walk me through your process. Uh, and, and in what capacity do you involve the attorney during the report writing process?
1: Well, well, I've had attorneys like send me the letter. Here's the letter, you know, it's like, okay, nice. I'll, I'll read that, but you know, I, I'm starting on my own here. You know, I don't want, uh, I, I'm not gonna like just sign your letter or edit your letter. So I uh, start on my own and uh, at first I list the pertinent uh, things I've reviewed. I've reviewed a lot of things. Some are not pertinent. I list the pertinent things I reviewed, just a bullet point order. And then I list the observations that I've obtained from those, not conclusions, observations, and basically the observation state, okay, the accident occurred on this date, here's how it happened here. And here are all the relevant issues regarding it with no conclusions. And then my third section is based on those observations, here are my professional opinions. I do it in those three steps. And, and all of us expert witnesses uh, include this you know, disclaimer that if any more information becomes available, our opinions might change.
0: How about just the kind of tone and editing, things like that? Who are you writing this report for? Because you obviously have a an engineering background. You have technical knowledge. How do you uh, put that in a way that laypersons understand, uh, you know, what you're getting at, where you're driving at?
1: Well, in my field, it's not so difficult because I'm usually not conveying the details of a highway capacity analysis and peak hour factors and, you know... Turned adjustments—that thing would confuse a, a normal person. But that's typically not involved in expert witness work. Typically, uh, it's an—it's a traffic accident, and people understand the issues involved. That, so I don't really usually have to translate highly technical stuff into simple things. Now, when sometimes when we go before an arbitration board, which I've been in front of, you know, and you its some con- contractor dispute that can get more technical, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's cannot cannot be easy to convey to an arbitration board of the the technical aspects, but uh, I I try to simplify it as much as possible. You know, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't.
0: You handle a fair number of projects uh, simultaneously. How do you manage your time? Do you use software? Do you have an assistant? You know, what's your method to keep everything together and make sure that, you know, you're getting everything done by the various deadlines that are involved?
1: I do it all myself. The good thing about expert witness works is is there's hardly ever really any deadline. I mean, the deadlines in expert witness work are easy compared to the deadlines I have to meet in my, you know, preparing traffic studies, designing traffic signals, doing signal timing. that that has real deadlines. Expert witness is usually can if you can get it to me in three weeks, that's great, you know. If you can get it to me in a month, that's great. And usually that's plenty of time. So, but the way I do organize, uh, I do it all myself. I have, a, I have one assistant. If I need a CAD drawings, he does the computer aided drawings. Uh, but besides the drawings, I do it all myself. I, you know, word process everything. I do have a spreadsheet of all my jobs, both, both expert witness and non expert witness that I refer to constantly. That, ex, that spreadsheet has the job number, the job name, the client, when it started, when it ended, mm-hmm. and the amount, you know, the amount of money that uh, if it's a fixed sum job, you know whatever's whatever's there, that's all on the the spreadsheet. So I can refer back quickly and kind of see the job in a summary, and I can see all my jobs in a summary. Uh, and if there's a deadline, I can put that on there as well. So I have this uh, Excel spreadsheet I use a lot.
0: Uh, while most cases don't make it all the way to trial, you have had a fair number of depositions and some trial experience as well. How do you prepare for getting grilled? And uh, what part does your attorney play in that in that kind of preparation? Do you do any mock cross examinations, for instance?
1: I've never done that. I've never done any kind of mock anything. Uh, I just, re, you know, refresh my memory with the file and answer the questions. And, uh in these kind of depositions, it's not like a criminal deposition where, you know, like say as little as possible. In these kind of depositions, typically they want me to explain our position, you know, the position that I've sure. taken. So usually when a question's asked, I take that opportunity to answer it, obviously, but to expand a little bit so that the other side understands our position, uh, which is my position. So uh, I, do, I do expand a little more than you typically would, I guess, in, you know, some other sort of deposition where you wanted to play close to the vest. Um, but I really don't do any mock trial stuff or haven't had anybody ask me. I would participate in that if they wanted to, but nobody really has asked me that.
0: There's a couple types of engagements, a couple types of reports. A lot of the time you're writing kind of an initial report, but sometimes you're also doing a rebuttal report. Does your strategy change at all when you're doing rebuttal work?
1: Well, it's, it's much easier because all I have to do is read the original expert's Position and and his references and and there may be some additional references he didn't look at that I would you know, but it's the problem is framed by that person you know so uh, in rebuttal work, uh, you're responding to that now he might have missed something that was totally great on his side, well I'm not going to jump in and say hey buddy you forgot to do this for your client (laughs) No, I'm silent on that because I'm just rebutting his work but and that happens so it's it's easier because you're just responding. It's more contained than if you have to develop it all on your own. So it takes less time typically to do rebuttal work. And in fact, I tell clients, I'll say, hey, don't have me do anything until, you know, if, if they're on the defense and I do work for both the plaintiff and defense, let's not do anything till their expert produces a, 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 a opinion because, you know, balls in their court, they have to prove their case. And then when it saves you some money, I'll respond to their expert and it'll save you some money instead of, you know, I want to have to reinvent the wheel then.
0: Is that part of the, the um, vetting process when you're deciding whether or not to take a case on, whether it's an initial report, a rebuttal report, uh, you know, consulting expert, testifying expert, are there things that you kind of, are packages that you kind of prefer to do either because they just make you more money or they're more interesting to you or anything like that?
1: I never think about money when I do a case because I'm so interested in what I learn out of these things. I mean, money's part of it, but I learn a lot being an expert witness. It helps me in my practice uh but i don't really turn anybody down unless it's not in my area of expertise sometimes i'll say hey you know i don't do that that's an accident reconstruction guy i'm a traffic engineer or that's a structural engineer that's not me you know so uh i stick to the knitting i stick to what i do best but uh, as long as it's in that area i will look at the case for them now they might not like what i have to say and i've had many attorneys say jeff you've really enlightened us on this but we're going to let you go because We're going to move Mm -hmm. in a different direction. And I understand because they're going to try to find somebody that'll back them up. But at least now they know what the other side is going to be saying. You know, it's important not only to let the attorney know what's in their favor, but what's not in their favor. So so, So should they settle? How far should they push this? Because eventually, if the other side gets a good expert witness, they're going to bring those things up.
0: Yeah, of course. You know, I, I want to pivot back to ethics because you sent me a really interesting article that you wrote called 10 Things Ethical Expert Witnesses Say. And if it's all right with you, I'd like to just walk through some of those with you and and sure. just kind of in, and get your your take on these. One of the things that you said is that the initial con- consultation is free. Tell me what happened and I'll tell you if I think I can help. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, but I don't charge people though for the initial talk. I mean, because I think they have a right to see whether I can help them or not. And that discussion can go up to an hour, you know, and, but uh, we want to get to the bottom, whether I can be of help.
0: Another thing that I found interesting was your one to 10 scale regarding whether or not a, uh, a case is, is worthwhile or if it's just going to settle. Tell me a little bit about your, your one to 10 scale.
1: Oh yeah. I, I, I kind of do that. uh, Especially when, once I understand what the issues are, I will say to the attorney, because sometimes they'll call up, they'll say, I, 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 I'll say, yeah, I think you got a slam dunk here. I mean, I, on a scale of 1 to 10, I think you got a 10. I mean, this this was really wrong what happened here. Uh, and other times I'll say, I think you got a 1. I mean, I you know, you're really grasping at straws to try to find something that's incorrect. And most times it's it's more 4, a 6, a 7, you know. I try to give them an idea of how strong I think their case is based on my understanding of it. Now Now that could change as they become more familiar with it. So they know whether to pursue me or use me or, you know, pursue the case I should say. So um, I think people should do that in life. I think every statement you make, you ought to give a, a percentage confidence in it. Like, you know uh, you know, I believe in God 95% sure or 80% sure 75% sure. You know, I, I, I I'm a, Detroit Tiger fan, well, 50% of the time, you know, if you knew what people when people said stuff, how committed they were to it, that would be helpful. And if somebody was committed all the time, 100%, 100% on everything, that person's a nut that person's I mean, that person is, you know, is a Jim Jones uh, convert, you know, so because nothing nobody knows everything 100% all the time. So the rating helps them, you know, get an idea. And again, I think in life we ought to do that. We ought to give ratings of, of how confident we are in our statements.
0: Skipping ahead in, in, your, in your list, one of the other ones I wanted to ask you about is, uh, I don't think defendant X did anything wrong. You may want to consider dropping them from the case. That's the first time I've heard an expert witness suggest that. That's really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that. Poor soils engineer
1: out there taking soil borings. He gets sued. He had nothing to do with the traffic accident, you know? Yeah, somebody that was doing, uh, putting up the signing when the, when the issue had nothing to do with signing. And if I see that pretty early on, I go, you know, why do you have these guys in the case? Oh, well, we just, you know, we don't know. If they're... I said, well, you know, they, should, they probably shouldn't be in there, and here's why. So I try to tell them that uh, pretty quick, if I can figure it out.
0: Moving uh, off the ethical implications of all of this, let's talk a little bit about the the, um, the good relationships. What makes a positive engagement between an expert and an attorney? What are the, you know, the memorable engagements, the things that make you guys a good team and, and a successful and efficient team?
1: Well, I mean, in my case, I deal best with attorneys that I think uh, want to know what happened. Usually do better with... Uh, People that kind of laid back, you know, they're trying to figure out what happened, you know, they realize that the issues are can can be complex, and they respect my expertise. And uh, those people I I tend to do better with than somebody who's under a lot of pressure.
0: Before we wrap up, do you have any last advice for newer expert witnesses or attorneys working with expert witnesses?
1: Well, I mean, the legal system is a great thing in this country, and it's, it's, it's what sets us apart as an impartial legal system, and I, and I hope that continues to be the case, that we have an impartial legal system that is blind to politics, it's blind to personal opinion, but, but it goes on the facts, and uh, that's a privilege to serve in that.
0: That's sage advice, Dr. Buckholtz. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for joining me for another discussion at the Roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our short notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps.